We have just released issue 4 of the New Thinking Aloud magazine. Download it for free at newthinkingaloud.org. New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos. Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the UFO disclosure process. My guest is Daniel Sheehan. He is the author of The People's Advocate, The Life and Legal History of America's Most Fearless Public Interest Lawyer. For the last 50 years, he has been active in some of the most prominent cases in American history, the Pentagon Papers, the Watergate burglary, the Karen Silkwood case, the American Sanctuary Movement case, the Iran-Contra affair. He represented psychiatrist John Mack when he was being investigated by Harvard University due to his interest in apparent alien abduction cases. He is currently heading up an organization called the New Paradigm Institute that is launching a new initiative to hold Congress responsible for UFO and UAP transparency. Dan is located in California, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure to be here. We'll be talking about the whole UFO disclosure process. It's a very hot button issue right now with the whistleblowers, and uh, you've been involved in the UFO arena ever since, at least since John Mack was being investigated by Harvard University. So you have a long history already working in this area, plus many, many other areas involving social justice. And I guess you see this as a an area that's consistent with your other work in the social justice arena. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, but it's important to remember that I first became involved in this back in 1977, you know, uh, almost 20 years before uh, John Mack. That's one of the reasons John called me to ask me to be his lawyer that when I was at Jesuit headquarters. So I was general counsel at the United States Jesuit headquarters uh, in their social ministry office developing public policy and was reached out to uh, by the people that President Carter had asked to prepare a, uh, a classified report for him on UFOs and extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, and so that I became involved in it in a, from a spiritual context uh, and having to do with consciousness and the potential impact that it would have on human consciousness. Uh, so that my involvement with it uh, uh, came from that perspective because of the role that consciousness has in social justice. <laughs> Well, that makes perfect sense. And if I recall correctly, it was the Library of Congress that Carter had tasked to to prepare this report. And so they called on you. That's right. 
Yeah, it was the Congressional Research Service, the, the Science and Technology Division of the Congressional Research Service. That's who were tasked to do the, do the study. Uh, and uh, Marcia Smith, who was the director of that, reached out to me uh, and asked me to participate as special counsel. How did that report go, incidentally? Well, it's interesting. It, it kind of uh, descended at that time into kind of a statistical study, a mathematical computation of Drake's equation and what the probabilities were uh, of discovering, you know, other life, other, uh, other where uh, elsewhere in the universe. And remember, at that time, the the scientific community in the academy, you know, didn't even officially acknowledge that there were any other planets. Uh, outside outside of our uh, solar system because pursuant to the scientific logical positivist worldview until you can measure it and weigh it and taste it <laughs> and feel it uh, it doesn't exist uh, and so that they weren't acknowledging that there were any other planets uh, and so that the these people in the study resorted to this statistical study of how many star systems there were and you know how likely it was that there were planets uh, around them and uh, it was all probability projections, but in that when uh, when we began to talk about concrete evidence uh, of actual UFO contact, uh, the, it became much more problematic. Uh, but when I when I found the photographs uh, of the crash retrievals uh, in in the when I was given access to the classified portions of Project Blue Book, uh, I ended up bringing those back to Jesuit headquarters. Uh, in providing those to the headquarters. And then we reached out to the other 54 major religious denominations in the United States to ask them to put together a task force uh, to try to get out ahead of this theologically. Uh, and, uh, and they didn't do it. Uh, so it was, it was an interesting period back there in 1977 when I first began working on this. But I, I realized that once I'd seen the photographs and I knew that the UFOs were real, I had always assumed they were, and I'd always uh, anticipated they were. But once I saw the actual photographs of a genuine UFO in the custody of the United States Air Force inside their classified documents, I turned my attention to trying to get this to happen. And I've been at it now for 46 years or so. That, that's amazing. You actually saw those photographs, had them in your possession, shared them with the uh, Jesuit ministry back in 1977. Well, it, uh, technically what I did is I traced them because they refused to allow me to take any photographs out of there. So what I did is I just opened up my uh, the yellow pad and I traced uh, the, the actual symbols uh, on the side of the, uh, on the dome of the spacecraft that they were recovering. And I brought those to the, to the headquarters. And when I did, I gave them to Father uh, William Davis, who was my immediate Jesuit superior. I was a candidate for the Jesuit priesthood at that time. And, and when I gave those to him, he just opened up his desk drawer and took out an envelope and handed it to me. Uh, and I opened up the envelope, and it was a, an 8.5 by 11 black and white glossy photograph of a UFO. Uh, and I, I asked him, I said, well, wait a second, where, where did you get this? And he said, my sister Dodie gave it to me. And I said, well, where did she get it? And she said, well, uh, her husband, Mike, who was the air traffic controller at the Seattle airport, uh, got it from his best friend, who was a pilot that took the photograph out of the window of his plane. <laughs> and he didn't want to get in trouble for fear of losing his license. Uh, uh, and so he took it to the air traffic controller and gave it to him. 
who was his best friend. And then he didn't want to get in trouble. So he took it and brought it and, and, and gave it to uh, he gave it to the uh, uh, his wife and said, here, take this and give it to your brother. He's a priest. What a fascinating story, but it highlights the the big issue, I think, that's coming up now is that the U.S. government, it seems, has had in its possession for decades, maybe going back to the 1940s, various crashed alien uh, craft. That is right. And, the, the first one that, that uh, I'm absolutely certain about uh, is the July 1947 uh, crash debris from Roswell. Now, and the reason that I, I'm so confident about that is the fact that, that, you know, when they lied about it, when the United States Air Force lied about it and said, oh, no, no, we don't have any craft here. There's nothing to see here. That there was a famous photograph that was taken of General Ramey, who was the commander uh, that had supervisory authority over the 509th Bomber Squadron, where the, who actually recovered the craft. Uh, and he was kneeling next to a, a faked up, um, uh, air, uh, air balloon, a weather balloon <laughs> sitting on the floor. And he had in his hand a, a telegram of some sort. And you could see it in the photograph. Uh, in uh, 1995, when I was representing John Mack, uh, someone approached me and said, they think that they have discovered who the photographer was from the local uh, Roswell newspaper that took that photograph. And he was going to go to try to find him and see if he had the negatives of this. Uh, and so I arranged with him that if he could get the negatives, we could possibly have them digitized and we could blow up that that telegram and look, get a look at it. And we did. Uh, and we actually were able to to uh, generate a digital reproduction of the of the telegraph. And it said right on it, a telegram. And it said, you know, take the saucer to right field and bring the victims with it, you know. <laughs> And it said, and it said that, and so I knew uh, from that point on that not only had I seen the actual photographs of the crash retrievals, but I had it now had proof that they had a telegram from Roswell acknowledging uh, that the saucer was real and that it had bodies with it. Uh, and so since that time, you know, I've been able to be among those people. Where, you know, well, for example, I've, I've sat, when I was representing Dr. John Mack and became legal counsel for his peer group, the Project for Extraordinary Research, uh, Extraordinary Experience Research, you know, I've interviewed dozens and dozens of people who have had direct face-to-face -face contact with uh, extraterrestrials. And so I've been able to discern, uh, after having done hundreds of depositions in my life as a, a trial attorney, you know, I've been able to discern who the credible witnesses are. So I have tons of uh, credible witnesses I've interviewed. I've seen the photographs of the crash site. I've, I've helped participate in, in uh, viewing the, the telegram that General Ramey had from Roswell. So I'm among those people who are completely convinced that it's true. Which is important when you're, when you're engaged in this process. It's one thing to be speculating and looking for information to decide what you're going to think about something. But I know that it's true. Uh, and so therefore I can approach it with that kind of confidence. Uh, and so when I'm, when I'm interviewing people or I'm investigating it, I'm doing it from the point of view, not of an experiencer because I've, I've had no direct contact or, or I haven't even seen a UFO except for in photographs. But, uh, but I'm, I'm sure that it's true. And now well, the when, Congress of the United States is acknowledging it. 
for sure something is going on. The question is what? And uh, amongst all of the reports, there obviously there's the question of craft that have actually been retrieved and 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 bodies that have uh, presumably been re been retrieved. But then you have reports from people who claim they've had, as you just mentioned, face-to-face -face contact with alien beings. And, and then you get into questions of UFO abductions and hybrid children, and does the U.S. have a secret space program uh, with our own starships? Have we already succeeded in uh, acquiring the technology for these vehicles? Uh, and, and so there's still many, many open questions, at least in my mind. Yeah, there are. There are a number. Like, for example, uh, we've, we've encountered a number of uh, frauds, you know, where people, you know, want to come forward and pretend that they know things they don't know. Uh, and that we've had certain individuals come forward and say, oh, they're part of the secret space program. And they've been to distant galaxies on the, our Starcraft and all that. I, I actively don't believe them. Uh, you know, I don't believe that's true. What they've done is they've, they've taken some of the data that's been verified and they've kind of, I think they've discerned a certain algorithm within the evolving facts on that and they've projected it out into the future and then they've asserted that it's true. Uh, and I haven't, I don't do that. You know, I, I take it as far as the evidence actually supports at any given time. And I'm insisting upon doing the investigations, which our new paradigm institute is doing. Uh, we've set up a 501c3 institute, the New Paradigm Institute, to undertake the investigations of things that we haven't yet been able to verify. Uh, and we've been intimately involved in the process of trying to get this piece of legislation passed so that we can work directly with the, the uh, con congressional committees to get this information to them. Uh, and so this, this law that's in the process of being passed right this week, basically, as we, as we talk here, uh, is going to move that forward to some extent, but we have to continue this operation on the part of our citizenry to get this information, to gather the, the credible stories. There's lots of photographs now. There's, there's lots of uh, tape recordings. There's other things that we can bring together to, in a sense, as a practicing trial attorney that's done a number of these major cases you know, from representing the New York Times in the Pentagon Papers case to, you know, doing, uh, being the people who filed the major federal criminal racketeering charges against the off-the-shelf enterprise of Oliver North. You know, to, to doing the Karen Silkwood case that caught them, the CIA smuggling bomb-grade plutonium to Israel and to Iran. You know, we've done all these cases. We want to bring that same kind of level of expertise to these investigations, and we're hoping that we have a receiving audience at the Congress to present this information to them. And of course, we've been in direct communication with a, a number of whistleblowers who have come forward from deep inside these programs of the crash retrieval programs and the reverse engineering programs that were uh, getting Congress to listen to these people and decide what to do uh, with them. Well, let's talk about the legislation that is pending. I believe we're referring to the Defense Authorization Bill, which is huge. Yeah, 3,930 pages. You know, and the, the section that we're talking about was the 24-page uh, 
amendment that we wanted to insert into the National Defense Authorization Act, which is basically the UFO Controlled Disclosure Act of trying to set up an independent uh, panel that was going to be reviewing all of the information that the U.S. government has in its possession, and very importantly, uh, was armed with subpoena power to extract the information from the Central Intelligence Agency, from the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, from uh, all 18 of the United States intelligence agencies, you know, all six of the military services, uh, all 32 of the uh, Defense Department agencies, but most importantly, also from the private military contractors who have been put into possession of some of the technology that's been recovered from these, uh, these UFOs. And they're using it to try to develop a super weapon system. Uh, you know, it's the, 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 it's the, the old Sufi saying that, you know, is that when a pickpocket meets a saint, all he sees are his pockets. Uh, and so what's happened is since the, the Defense Department are the ones that have been capturing these, these saucers, you know, they immediately start thinking about how they can transform it into weapons. Uh, and, uh, and they're missing out on the extraordinary, uh, uh, higher there's a, there's a story that Hal Putoff told me that, uh, Hal, Hal's been involved for a long time in working on these things, as you know, you know Hal. Uh, and he said that when, he was talking to the science advisor for the uh, for President Clinton, uh, and was asking him, you know, well, you know, what what have they got? What are we going to be able to do with this? The science advisor said, look, let's let's go outdoors and take a walk here, <laughs> and let me talk to you. And he said, uh, let me give you an example of what I think is going on, right there. He said, uh, let me tell you the story. There's a story of an old man uh, who was uh, walking home uh, early one evening. And he's walking through this field, and he sees this little light in the grass. And he bends down and sees that there's a, a, a frog in the grass. And it's got this light on its head. like. And he picks the frog up, and it turns out that it's a crown on the head of this little frog. And the frog starts talking to him, uh, saying, uh, I'm really a princess, uh, and I've been turned into a frog by an evil sorcerer. And all you have to do is kiss me, and I'll turn back into a princess. Uh, and you and I will be married, and you'll have the whole kingdom, uh, and we'll have many children together. And the old man looked at her, and he said, well, actually, I'm at an age where I think I'll settle just for having a talking frog. <laughs> and he took his pocket and brought it home. Okay? And so, so that's the story that Hal tells, you know, is that the, 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 what we're passing up, the possibilities that we're passing up here, at least temporarily, uh, to be able to have direct open communication and access to this extraterrestrial civilization to understand what an additional billion years of evolution might have brought uh, to the phenomenon of consciousness uh, and answer the fundamental questions that we have that, that we perceive to be theological and metaphysical uh, that are involved with the UFO phenomenon uh, is this extraordinary opportunity that's facing us and that, that you and I and those in our generation, you know, have another 25, 20, 25 years to devote to this uh, and that we need to make use of that time to try to bring this information out on our watch, at least in this incarnation. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping in the next incarnation to possibly be a starship captain. You know, but uh, it's, it's probably not going to happen this time, this this incarnation. So I can play this role 
uh, of trying to do this. You've spent a lot of time working on the areas of consciousness and you've written about the, these kind of extraordinarily uh, metaphysical type of experiences that people have with the UFO phenomenon and its occupants. Uh, and I'm, I'm very uh, interested in that aspect of this whole thing. Uh, but also in dealing with the legal implications of it all, the, the legislative steps we need to take, the investigatory steps we need to take, you know, the recovering of the craft, et cetera. So there's an entire spectrum uh, of issues that are at play with regard to this UFO phenomenon. Uh, and our generation wants to address all of them to help the next generations behind us uh, come to understand this phenomenon. Well, I'm pretty sure that uh, a lot of people figure that, uh, above all, this could be a military threat to us. If the aliens, with their advanced technology, wanted to interfere with our way of life, there'd be very little we could do to stop them. So, from a military point of view, it would seem important that we uh, understand their technology. Well, the, the, as I say, that uh, when a pickpocket meets a saint, all he sees are his pockets. You know, and, and the fact is, if, if we have a, a set of structures that have a standing army, such that George Washington warned us against, you know, we have a standing army whose obligation it is, is to take a certain narrow perspective on the issue of our national security. Uh, and that they, they genuinely believe, for example, if one looks at the 1992 United States Defense Department policy planning guidance documents that were prepared under then Secretary of Defense Dick Cheney. It says specifically that our mission is to, to seek out and maintain our continued privileged access to the strategic raw materials needed by our major corporations uh, because they, they view that as their operational mission assignment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that it's not just that they're trying to defend us. What they're trying to do is engage in, in their own words, the establishment of full-spectrum dominance over the planet. Uh, and they say so, right, in their own documents. So they view that as their mission statement, so that it's not just trying to figure out how to protect ourselves against this technology. What they're trying to do, and we've now discovered that, they're trying to back-engineer the technology to build a missile system that can deliver uh, a thermonuclear weapons uh, in a warhead that can be launched from the United States territory and hit Russia or China inside of two minutes, you know, and that that this is a this is a serious uh, challenge that we have uh, as as people who are devoted to trying to help elevate the consciousness of our human family to try to take out of their exclusive hands the dealing with this phenomenon. We have to get it into the hands of Congress. We have to get it into the hands of the churches. We have to get it into the hands of the economists, uh, the, the sociologists. Uh, we, we have to get our whole human family, all of the disciplines that we've developed over the centuries, to, to bring to bear uh, on this particular phenomenon so we can have a holistic uh, approach to this rather than a narrow-minded, military, defensive kind of dialectical, confrontational perspective uh, on this phenomenon. I don't know that we're going to be capable of changing the American military structure, though if anybody's up to the job, it's probably you. I know that 
you know, the National Security Act, I think, goes back to the 1940s, the creation of, of the intelligence community, the CIA, and, and, and that whole network. They, they've been well established since before I was born. 1947, December of 1947, the National Security Act of 1947 created the Central Intelligence Agency. You know, and the, and the, the, the thing to keep in mind is that agency was created at the direct behest of one of the senior partners of Brown Brothers Harriman, which was the coalition of robber barons who were attempting to, to monopolize the resources. And Robert Lovett is the guy that wrote the, the memo to President Truman asking to create such an organization. And so they, have, they too have viewed themselves as, as being operatives, basically, of a certain kind of uh, economic uh, prowess that they want to assert over the world, uh, and so that we, that we have to change. We, ha- we know that it's absolutely appropriate as long as there are nation states. You know, and, and I studied under Henry Kissinger at Harvard College of Foreign Policy, so I know what you know the implications are of the present nation state system that we have. It's confrontational, it's competitive, and in fact, you know that they they attempt to establish uh, ultimate military superiority over every other nation state. And they do it under the, the rubric of defense. But when it, when it devolves into an offensive capability, the United States, for example, you know, our military budget every year that they're getting set to approve in the National Defense Authorization Act this December, you know, is 10 times bigger uh, than any other nation in the world. Uh, in fact, it's bigger than all 10 of the other people, other nation states in the world taken together, the top 10 people, you know, and, the, and that we keep on insisting that that's just for defense purposes. But we have 800 military bases all across the world, you know, and we're, we're, we're insisting that China, who is asserting control or uh, control over the South China Sea, is somehow interfering with our national security. <laughs> and we, we've, you know, we've brought into NATO uh, the republics that were released by Gorbachev, you know, at Jesuit headquarters, we were in direct communication with Gorbachev, trying to talk him into stepping back from the Cold War to agree to disarm the nuclear warheads, etc. As soon as he stepped back, you know, the Defense Department under Dick Cheney and George Bush Sr. tried to move in to fill in the vacuum to establish full-spectrum dominance over the planet, and they said so. You know, so we have, there's a job we have to do to get our citizenry to, to actually elevate our collective consciousness and try to get the instrumentalities of our government to reflect a higher state of consciousness, to at least move our, our military back to a, a legitimate defense posture, uh, and out of this offensive posture that they're in. Uh, and it, it becomes directly pertinent with regard to the UFO issue because they're trying to use the technology to develop this offensive weapon. It's a first strike weapon. They actually, the, the code name for the program is called Prompt Global Strike. <laughs> I understand that, that the government would be interested in exactly that, a prompt global strike. I'm not at all convinced that, that there's a link between that and UFO technology. I could be wrong. Of course, I have very little direct information, but my best sense is that this technology is so far advanced above anything that we have that uh, even though governments and, and 
Private organizations, businesses presumably, have been attempting to reverse engineer this stuff for decades. They haven't gotten to first base with it. Well, I'm I'm afraid they're 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 on first base. Uh, you know, they haven't hit the home run yet. Uh, I believe, uh, but they're on first base. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, you take a look at you know what they're doing. Radiant Technologies, for example, that is developing this prompt global strike program. Uh, this this super fast missile, you know, have hired people right out of the Defense Department that are specialists on UFO technology. <laughs> that's what they've done. So you know perfectly well that that's what they're doing. And they've been negotiating with uh, with uh, Lockheed Martin to get put into possession of one of the spacecraft, you know, so that they can work on it uh, to to promote to promote this rocket technology. Uh, you know, in the, the two, the two congressmen that have given us the greatest resistance on this bill we tried to get passed are right from the, the, uh, uh, Redstone rocket missile testing range in the second district of Alabama, uh, and the, uh, and the Wright Patterson Air Force Base, you know, in the 10th district of, of, uh, Ohio. These are the two major people who organized the resistance against passing this bill so that we could have greater disclosure of this information because they want to keep it secret and they want to have patents. They want to have patents so that they can make literally trillions of dollars in mastering the, the anti-gravity and, uh, and the uh, superluminal propulsion systems. That's what they want. And they realize that the major money to finance both of those technologies is in the weapons industry. Uh, and it's just what we call at Jesuit headquarters, we call sinful structures. You know, we have sinful social structures that are in place right now. Uh, in that the Pedro Rupe, the superior general of the Jesuits, when I was in him, uh, you know, has asked all of us, all the Jesuit priests, had asked all of us that the, to engage in daily work uh, to disassemble the sinful structures uh, in unjust structures that abide on our planet you know, it's not a matter of attacking individuals or attacking even their own personal integrity because the people are part of the institutional structures uh, in that they're accepting mission assignments from our structures. Uh, and these are potentially destructive, you know, of our entire human family. We all know that we live under the umbrella every day of potential total thermonuclear destruction. Uh, and yet we haven't been successful in getting them to disassemble those weapons. And we've got to do that. In fact, if anything, they'll make bigger and stronger weapons if given a chance. That's right. Right. Or if even not even given a chance, they'll take the chance. That's what the problem is. They're, they're, not, they're not under constitutional control. You know, they're supposedly the authority that anybody in the government has is delegated to them by the people. Uh, and the fact is we have not delegated that kind of authority to them, but they've taken it for themselves. Uh, and they've kept it secret even from the elected representatives. They keep a secret even from some elected presidents, you know, and secretaries of defense haven't even been briefed in on this. That's, that's, the pro that's a problem we were trying to overcome. When we spoke earlier, we talked about the unacknowledged special access programs that the government has and which uh, government policy uh, is that if, if somebody, a reporter, should question you about these programs, it's perfectly appropriate to lie about it. That's right. And to Congress, to lie to Congress, to lie under oath to Congress, 
to lie to your president, your commander-in-chief, in fact, even within their own juridical structures, that they think that they're authorized to lie to them because they, they view elected representatives as temporary employees of the government. And they view themselves as a permanent institution of the government. The fact is, they tend to think of themselves as the government. Uh, you know, and these are military people and covert intelligence people. And they view themselves to be in charge of the government. Uh, and it's totally untrue. It may be true in a dictatorship. It may be true even in some communist nation. But it isn't true in a democracy. And they, they haven't quite been adequately trained or conscientized to really understand that it's different in a democracy. Uh, and we have to, we have to exercise our authority as citizens, not only to help our country, but to help our whole human family. We're the 5% of the population of the entire world that can actually have a direct effect upon the policies of this, this government. And so we have to do so. It's a, it's an obligation that we have. It's a spiritual obligation, in my opinion. Well, at the same time, it does seem to me that an awful lot of information is coming to us about UFOs, about aliens, uh, in fact, a, a great deal of detailed information through the public sector, through, for example, individuals who claim they've been aboard these craft. Uh, some individuals claim that they themselves were given access to pilot some of these vehicles and, and that the vehicles themselves operate not on a technology uh, that we think of as technology, but operate by consciousness itself, that when you're piloting such a craft, your thoughts become important. That's right. No, no, that's, that is, that is true. In, in fact, in fact, in the Roswell crash in July of 1947, one of the technologies that was removed from that craft, according to Co Colonel Philip Corso, who was in charge uh, at the Pentagon in July of 1947, he was charged with the the recovery and, and analysis of foreign technology. Uh, and he was put into possession of uh, the, the uh, helmet that was worn by the pilot uh, of the crash saucer at Roswell. And it was clear that the, the craft was navigated by telepathy. Uh, and that, and that in fact, I've talked with another witness who believed that uh, he came upon a, a UFO craft uh, he was climbing, uh, he was hiking in the mountains of, of Colorado, uh, in his summer vacation from college. Uh, and, uh, and he called me and, and asked me to come and see him, not to reveal his name because he didn't, he's a very famous person, you know, and he said that he, he walked right up onto a, a UFO sitting in the meadow and he went over and he put his hand on it and he could tell that it was alive. He said that in the, the technology of being able to integrate uh, sentient consciousness into a machine is what's going on with AI right now. That they're actually, they're actually using human stem cells to put into the computers to generate human dendrites and synapses from the brain uh, into the computers. And so if you, if you add another billion years, to the time one has had to develop this kind of technology, that it's possible that some of these UFO craft actually have sentient capacities uh, in that they interact with the telepathic communications of the pilot. Now, these are the kind of things that, you know, you wouldn't have dared talk about 
you know, 10 years ago, even if you did know it. But now uh, that we know perfectly well that, uh, that the secret programs that are inside the Pentagon and inside the, the Central Intelligence Agency are exploring this very issue is what is this unique relationship between consciousness and this UFO phenomenon? They're, they, they know that there's something going on there. Uh, and Hal, Hal put off and these people have been directly involved in trying to, to uh, explore some of that information. Uh, so, so the, the, and that's why the churches, the, when they really realize that the entire religions of our human family have to do with human consciousness. Uh, and what, what our capacities are to discern other dimensions, you know, uh, other vibrational dimensions of reality. Uh, and so that this is an extraordinarily rich field. Uh, and, and really, we need to be able to pursue, persuade the, the academy, the universities, to begin studies on exoplanet exo, uh, studies, to really understand what a UFO uh, life may be like, what their culture may be like. What, our, what changes our culture has to go through in order to accommodate uh, a relationship with a, with a culture like that. Uh, this is the next step. You know, we, we've, made, we've mounted a major uh, campaign to get the legislature and the government structures involved in, in sharing this information with us. We have to now do the same thing with regard to the academy, with the universities and the churches and the synagogues and temples. We've got to get, we've got to get our whole human family, all of our institutions moving into a new era here. Uh, you know, so that, that's what the New Paradigm Institute is doing. Well, it, you've got a tough job ahead of you. I know as a graduate student in parapsychology back in the 1970s, I did research on an individual who seemed to have telepathic contact with aliens, could make UFOs appear on demand. There are many examples of that, and, and even today there are people still doing that. I, I had a professor, a, a parapsychologist, someone very open to psychic functioning, drop off of my committee back in those years because he said we cannot mix uh, the science of parapsychology, which is struggling for acceptance, with another crazy fringe science like UFO investigations. They must be kept separate because uh, other, otherwise we'll be laughed at. And of course, we're laughed at already. And, and so, it, it's going to be a, a, a very tough road uh, when, the, when the different uh, people investigating paranormal phenomena don't even want to talk to each other. I know, no, it's it's a challenge. There's no doubt about it. You know, when when I was the I was one of the the people that was involved in this, in the uh, the State of the World Forum. At the end, I, I pointed out that that our Jesuit office was in direct communication with Gorbachev. Uh, at, at, at that time, to get him to try to step back from the Cold War, uh, helping to work on getting him to sign the Concordat, releasing the the provinces, the the other provinces from the Soviet Union, uh, and that uh, we were we were attempting at that time uh, to to draw people into a conversation of what what the new paradigm worldview would look like if we weren't engaged in this dialectic confrontation with the Soviet Union. Uh, and so that that uh, I, I during that time we convened the State of the World Forum, 
uh, with Gorbachev, and we got uh, Secretary of State James Baker to participate in this, and we called various people in. It was there that I got to meet Dr. Zhenzhou Jing. Dr. Zhenzhou Jing was from the Chinese Academy of Social Science. It's a, it's a huge uh, university complex in Beijing that is at the disposal of the Politburo in China. She was in charge of the Science and Technology Division, uh, and she invited me to come to China to, to talk with her. The first thing she did is brought me in, started showing the laboratories where they were working on psychic uh, issues uh, in, in, in psychokinesis, and she showed me the videotapes of Uri Geller, right, uh, in the, the psychokinesis things. And, they, and this, that was back in, in 1999. You know, I mean, that's 25 years ago. Uh, you know, so China knows what they're doing here. You know, and, uh, and I'm sure, and, and I, one of the first things I talked about with Gorbachev when I got alone with him to talk with him, you know, was about the UFO issue, you know. Uh, and we know that the Soviet Union has been working, but, they're, but they're, they, we can't allow this to be going on as some kind of a competitive competition among them. And they're trying to build weapon systems or weaponize uh, the, the, the capacities of our human family. We've got to back up out of this process. And only by people who, such as yourself uh, and others, who are willing to undertake certain courageous action, you know, of, of getting the University of California at Berkeley to allow you to do your PhD, study, PhD studies on, on psychic phenomenon, you know, that I've been confronting the same issue here, you know, and the, but, but I was able to get the Jesuit order uh, to support this. Uh, and to, to authorize me to deliver the, the three-hour closed-door session with the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, with the SETI program, on the theological implications of contact with an extraterrestrial civilization. You know, and that they're the ones that authorize us to reach out to the Washington Interreligious Staff Council and ask all of those 54 religious denominations to set up a task force to try to get out ahead of this, to really get to understand all of this. So that the, there, there are some institutions that are supportive of this. I've had I have conversations with, with Johann Ix, who is the head of the Vatican Archives, to try to get him to allow me to see some of this when I was at Jesuit headquarters. You know, but we, so there, there are, we have to, those of us who are familiar with the authority of institutions in our human family, to get these institutions to move but we cannot be confined to just what it is they're willing to authorize at any given point in time. We have to have we have to have the courage to organize our citizenry into a collective community that reaches out and does this on our own. And that's why reaching out to have telepathic communications with extraterrestrials, to to do the CE5 activities of going out into the fields at night and and making yourself open to these kind of contacts and trying to prepare ourselves so that we're not cellularly terrified when we end up in the presence of one of these UFO beings who is so different than we are, because our entire, our entire cellular system of self-survival, you know, uh, recoils uh, in, 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 at the first encounter. And I've talked to dozens of people that no matter how well prepared they thought they were for this, you know, when it happens to them, you know, their, their entire body freezes up <laughs> until they until they can get used to this. So we've got we've got work to do here, uh, and I'm I'm glad that that you're still at it. Uh, I know I'm going to keep at it. I've got another twenty twenty five years uh, 
before I would consider retiring, uh, you know, but, but I'll never retire from this effort. Well, let's talk more about the defense authorization bill and the amendment that is currently in the bill that relates to disclosure. What can we expect from that? Well, uh, as I say, I, I would I would give it a great, you know, as a, as a university professor, I've, I'm used to figuring out how to grade, grade my students. You know, I would give it about a 65. Uh, you know, it's passing. Uh, you know, but I'm not going to write a letter of recommendation to grad school for, for the, the work that was done by the Congress in this particular case. You know, that it sets up a framework. It does, in fact, issue an order from the Congress to the CIA and to all, all six of our military services. You know, I mentioned all 18 of the United States intelligence agencies, all 32 of the defense agencies into every one of the aerospace technology corporations that is in possession of this technology to turn over the information uh, to the National Archives. Uh, and that the, the people who have adequate security clearances in the intelligence committees are going to be able to get access to some of that, right? Uh, except there's no enforcement uh, device. There's no subpoena power. There's no punishment for them refusing to comply with it. Uh, and so that that, but it's an important sign that Congress, even the House of Representatives, where they were resisting this, have agreed to order them to do it. Uh, my, but the problem is, my experience has been, you know, when, when I was uh, chief counsel that, that put forth the federal criminal racketeering charges against the off-the-shelf enterprise of Oliver North, you know, we succeeded in getting Congress to pass the Boland Amendment in 1984, prohibiting the Reagan-Bush administration and the CIA and the military from providing any type of military support, direct or indirect, to the Contras, who had been declared by the International Court of Justice to be international criminals, you know, to prohibit them from giving them any military aid. Uh, so Congress issued the order prohibiting them from doing it, and they went right around them. Uh, and they insisted upon going ahead and doing it themselves because they consider themselves to be the government. And so they were providing weaponry to the Contras, to the to the uh, deposed Sandinista dictator, uh, Anastasio Somoza. And so we caught them doing that, you know, working out of the church, out of the Jesuit headquarters. Uh, and what we did is we presented it to the judicial branch. Uh, finally, we forced the legislature to hold public hearings on it. But the bottom line is no one was ever punished for that. No one. Out of all of the drug smuggling, all the political assassinations, all of the weapons uh, violations, nobody was prosecuted for that. Uh, and, and so the, the bottom line is we know that without enforcement mechanisms, uh, the, the national security state people have taken it unto themselves to refuse to obey the law. They view themselves as being above the law uh, and that they won't respond to this. Uh, so that but but we know that they're going to have to give some information over <laughs> to the to the archives, and some of it is going to be made public. Uh, and so our new paradigm institute is going to be gathering this information because we have our offices right there on Capitol Hill. We're going to be able to go over and get the information out of the archives, and we're going to be able to put it into a form that people can understand it uh, and and explain what the full implications are uh, of this. So we're we're going to be doing that. Uh, and, and so that this statute does provide some assistance, some assistance in this, this whole endeavor. Uh, and so we don't, uh, we don't want, 
I said, we don't want people jumping out of the first story window of their house, you know, and then having to dust themselves off and pick themselves up, you know, in despair over over the the inadequacies of the bill. You know, what I've said is the the glass is part partially full and partially empty. You know, I won't say half full. I, I wouldn't give it a full. You know, it, it is, but it, it may be half full and half empty. You know, our job is to focus on the part that's still empty and help fill that in. Uh, and if they don't respond, then we do it ourselves as citizens. I mean, after all, this is a self-governing uh, uh, country still, and so we have the capacity to do it if we can get people to pay attention. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why we have to have a new Paradigm Institute, to be able to get the information to people in bite-sized, digestible forms so that people, you know, in between the men, in between football games and basketball games, uh, in the, you know, in, in the women too now, you know, will pay attention uh, to this issue. And we're winning that, you know, that, that there's more and more and more shows now on, on Internet about the UFO issue. You know, uh, there's a there's a weekly series of, of programs talking about all of this. You know, uh, one of my, my my jobs in the New Paradigm Institute is to try to to curtail some of the more bizarre, crazy, conscious lying that goes on. Number one, and also, you know, we we have to get we have to try to get ancient aliens, for example, to adopt a more rigorous standard of proof than some ancient alien theorists believe. You know, that's not the right standard because you know, I mean, they they some of them believe that you know that uh, President Clinton was a ET walk-in. You know, some of them believe that Biden is having secret face-to-face meetings with extraterrestrials. You know, we have to we have to get rid of that. We have to put the lie to that type of information and get it taken out of the discourse. I'm not I'm not in favor of any censorship. But what I'm saying is that when we construct affirmative structures such as this in your show, the key is to use discretion in who you're interviewing and who you're putting on uh, to tell this to the world uh, and, and act as a voluntary filter of this information. That's one of the things that we want the New Paradigm Institute to be viewed as a source of solid, credible information about an otherwise non-credible subject. <laughs> it's an incredible subject, the issue of UFOs and extraterrestrial civilization. Uh, but it's, it's growing in its credibility, and we will invoke the, the assistance of Congress to give it more credibility. We'll invoke the, uh, the testimony of whistleblowers from inside to give it more credibility. We'll invoke the New York Times to get it more credibility. We'll invoke 60 Minutes on CBS to give it more credibility. You know, uh, we'll, we'll give it to the, the Jeffrey Mishlove uh, webcast to give it more credibility. <laughs> so that's, that's what we're, we're doing at the New Paradigm Institute. I think one of the important factors is that this is a nonpartisan issue. You've got a lot of support from both sides of Congress to push for this. And, and, and overwhelming public uh, interest in having disclosure, as far as I know. That's right. That's right. You know, that there, there's virtually no uh, legitimate opposition to this, except from the forces that are trying to keep it secret to make a very dangerous weapon system out of it. 
You know, that, that otherwise there's no reason in the world not to discuss this. You know, uh, you know, and it's not true that the churches are pushing back against it, you know, which everybody, oh, well, the churches are going to not let you talk about it because it's going to destroy their religion. That's not true at all. You know, I, you know, I was in legal counsel in the headquarters of the, the largest single denomination, uh, you know, uh, the largest order in that denomination in the world. Uh, and they're supportive of doing this. You know, and I need to do more work with them to be a little more forthcoming. They've still got uh, information in the archives uh, that Johan hasn't let me see yet. <laughs> uh, you know, so I've, I'm still working at that. But but we've got uh, uh, Father uh, Jose Gabriel Funes, for example, who was the previous uh, uh, director of the the Pontifical Observatory. He's now teaching a class down in Venezuela, uh, or excuse me, in Argentina, in Argentina, he's teaching a class on the theology of extraterrestrial uh, contact, you know, and, and that's that's with the full sanction and support of the Catholic Jesuit order, you know. So the, there's there's a process going on here. I'm hoping to accelerate it. Uh, uh, we all are helping to accelerate it, uh, and we're going to be doing some of that ourselves at the New Paradigm Institute. We're going to be trying to construct. Uh, curriculum, uh, curricula for an undergraduate degree, uh, a bachelor's degree in exo studies, you know, a master's degree, a PhD program, you know, uh, that we're, we're going to be doing that at the New Paradigm Institute, uh, and, uh, in setting it up. You know, we've been offered a full facility. It's one hour north of San Francisco, uh, up on uh, Clear Lake. Uh, there's a, a 70,000 square foot old Art Deco hotel that we can use as a base for for providing bricks and mortar instruction. But we all we also have a, you know a, an online uh, university that is that is has a, a an accredited uh, uh, degree granting uh, authority. Uh, and so we're we're going to be doing these things to help raise the conscience of people, help train people in an academic field that is pertinent to them, whether it's economics or geopolitical strategies or or theology or philosophy. You know, we we have to do th this. Is an extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily exciting period, uh, and we're privileged. We're actually privileged to get to live at this particular point in time. This is a pivot point of history for our entire human family. We're going to be stepping out into the stars now, you know, and, and to realize that we're part of a large galactic civilization. And even though we're, we can't continue to convince ourselves that we're at the, the apex of the pyramid of all sentient life in the universe, <laughs> you know, uh, we got over the fact that we weren't the physical center of the universe with Copernicus and Galileo. You know, but now we need to get over this. Uh, but we, we, we can't just despair and think that because we're not the, the, the apex of all sentient life, that we don't have value in the matrix of, of conscious life in the universe. We need to understand what that value is. What is it about our human family that we can contribute? You know, I don't think it's necessarily the capitalist uh, economic system. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's the military state. You know, I mean, hopefully there, there are some higher, higher achievements that we've accomplished that we can help share. Uh, so it's extremely exciting. Yeah. Earlier, you used the um, phrase, well, I introduced it when I said, I didn't think they've gotten to first base in terms of back engineering a, a UFO. Uh, and you said you thought they haven't hit a home run, but they probably are on first base. I wonder if you could elaborate on that. 
Oh yeah, that the, you know that they've they've had access to this for some time. Uh, you know, uh, since all the way at least back in 1947, uh, and they've been devoting a lot of time and attention and lots of money uh, to these experiments. Uh, that they've they've, uh, for example, that I, I've talked with Edgar Mitchell uh, when he was still alive, uh, and and he said that uh, he talked to uh, one of his best friends who were actually in a laboratory uh, where they were trying to figure out anti-gravity. You know, they're working on the anti-gravity stuff. And they've actually been able to develop some kind of primitive technology uh, that alters the weight of objects. Uh, they, they haven't, they, at that time, they hadn't gotten to the point where, where it, would, it would levitate. You know, but the fact is that they could place a, an item on a scale and they could subject it to a technology that would, would reduce by one half the weight of, of that, of that, uh, that uh, object. You know, uh, he's, he's also been uh, at a place, uh, he said that this is a, this is a, a big one, that they actually uh, were in one room and they put a Coke bottle. I don't know why they picked the Coke bottle for the example, other than the fact that it's kind of archetypal. But they had a Coke bottle and they put it on the table uh, and had him uh, put a little tag on it, writing his his signature on it. And they had him go into this other room uh, and he waited there and he heard this kind of weird noise and this light started to appear on the table. And the Coke bottle manifested uh, in the other room, you know, with his signature and stuff on the on the bottle, you know. And so that they they're they're experimenting with this kind of teleportation uh, thing. Uh, that may have something to do with the way that the UFO vehicles move from, you know, one star system to another one without having to just, you know, travel uh, super fast. You know, so that, uh, th that we know they've been doing this. We, we know that in the mid-1950s, you know, popular mechanics and Scientific American were filled with, with uh, uh, kind of cutting-edge experiments that were going on in the area of anti-gravity uh, and stuff. Uh, and then all of a sudden it disappeared. All of a sudden they stopped doing any articles about it at all. And so we know that that stuff went underground uh, and that the United States military moved in to take control of that. So they, the, the, and, we, and we know now that they have, they have this missile uh, that they have that's, that's in this, uh, this uh, prompt global strike uh, program that they've got uh, that apparently can travel at Mach 25. Uh, you know, uh, in that, uh, so that uh, th that's not normal technology. You know, that that's not just putting a little more fuel in it or burning fuel, you know, burning petroleum at a little more efficient rate or any other thing. You know, that they, they've obviously uh, begun to cut into this technology. Now, there are some people who believe that, uh, that they've made even more advances. They believe that they're on at least second base, you know, here. Uh, and, and Dr. Stephen Greer is one of those people who is uh, insisting that he has talked with people who have given him what he believes to be convincing uh, information uh, that they do have some type of operational craft that they can pilot uh, and, uh, and that they've been experimenting uh, with these uh, out in New Mexico. Uh, that, uh, that, that Stephen and I have had this long, and I was general counsel for the, his disclosure project for, for 20 years. So we've had, you know, calm-centered discussions about this uh, always uh, and are still good friends about it. But, uh, but, but I've now started to represent Lou Elizondo 
and some of the people from inside these programs. Uh, and uh, uh, so we're, we're getting more and more information uh, about this. Uh, but that I've refused to take a security clearance. I mean, I absolutely refuse because the, the, if, I, if I were ever to do that, I'd be then prohibited from talking to people about what I know. And the fact is, uh, if I haven't proven it yet, I will prove it. But I'm capable of getting at all, virtually any information that's around uh, if you have a sound and reliable place for them to bring the information to. Uh, and, and that's what we have with the New Paradigm Institute. We're going to have people involved with it that are trusted, are, are capable, are responsible, uh, and that we're going to be pushing the envelope to get more and more of this information made available. Uh, and so that, that I do think you're, you're right that they've, they've, uh, they've begun to develop some of this technology, but it's still, I think, in a fairly crude uh, state of development. And I hope we can, we, we have to get a treaty put in place. We have to get a treaty where, where the United States will take the lead and say, look, we're willing to put all of our technology on the table and stop trying to develop any other weapon system. But everybody else has to agree to do this, too. But, you know, the, the, per, the, the nation state that is in the lead on these things are the ones that have to initiate this. Because otherwise, everybody's saying, oh, yeah, you know, you're only you're only advocating that because, you know, we've got one that's better than you've got. <laughs> You know, and so that I think that the, the time is now that, you know, we, we, we've got to get President Biden to agree, uh, you know, uh, and get Jake Sullivan and the folks to put this on their agenda to take the step ahead. You know, and I've, I've talked with other candidates uh, about this, that they, they really need to start getting this on the agenda. They're still afraid that there's still a big taboo about still even talking about UFOs because of the success of their secret program they've had going inside the CIA, you know, to totally destroy people, destroy their careers, destroy their family lives, if they try to reveal any of this information. You know, and we've proven that, you know, that uh, Richard Dolan, uh, you know, who's a PhD candidate at the University of Pennsylvania in history, you know, uh, has written two volumes uh, this called the UFOs in the National Security State. And he's got the documents that show, internal documents showing that the CIA and the Defense Department had a, a criminal covert operation going on, destroying people, destroying their lives and their careers if they tried to reveal any of this information. Uh, and it even went so far as regular civilians who had seen a UFO or had direct contact to prohibit them from talking about it. You know, and so the, the, the problem is, is that, that there's still uh, a, 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 an overcast uh, on this issue uh, of, of ridicule uh, and, and fear, actually, of, of being able to talk about this. We have to try to get over that. Uh, and that's part of the responsibility of the New Paradigm Institute to start making it a, a part of our regular discourse, a part of regular courses of instruction. Uh, you know, what are the economic implications of this? What are the scientific implications? What are the theological implications? That's, we've got to get it down into a, a, an everyday uh, kind of conversation uh, before we can uh, make the full progress we need. How can our viewers be of assistance to you? Well, the most important thing they can do is just go onto our website. You know, it doesn't cost anything. It's totally free. You know, come onto our website of newparadigminstitute.org. Uh, you can find all the email addresses for your congresspeople and your senators. 
they should still be doing this between now and at least between now and December 21st when the vote comes on this to to keep telling their their senators and Congress people that they want full disclosure. They want full responsible disclosure. That's the first thing that they can do. Uh, the next thing they can do, of course, is is dig further into the website and find the information. You know, what is it that makes it credible now? Why, why is it that the United States Senate made official findings that they knew that our government was in possession uh, of uh, information about possess, possessing a craft like this? You know, why did why did the House uh, Intelligence uh, National Security Subcommittee uh, of the Oversight Committee hold public hearings? You know, telling the world that we had this crap, you know? We need to share this information so they can come on to the, the website, the newparadigminstitute.org, and get lots of this information. We have, we have a, a documentary films, we have scientific studies there, uh, you know, and, and we're, our job is to make this information uh, entertaining, uh, interesting, you know, engaging, you know, not some pedantic kind of lecturing at people. Uh, we're we're going we're going to try to get uh, major motion pictures made that are not fictional. You know, that, that don't go off the deep end like Project Blue Book did on television. You know, where they had uh, uh, Dr. Heineck, you know, seeing UFOs and and finding bodies in cellars and all that stuff. You know, I mean, none of that's true. You know, stick with the facts. Stick with the facts. But there's they're still exciting, dramatic. Uh, entertaining. Uh, that's our job at the New Paradigm Institute. Uh, and it's also uh, professionally responsible in each of the fields of economic, uh, economic studies and academic uh, 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 importance, you know, to to bring these studies uh, into the academy. And that's that's one of our major missions is to bring them into the academy to get uh, uh, the new generation trained on this. So they have an entirely different consciousness about this. I am under the impression that this policy you described of discrediting the witnesses uh, is no longer in effect. It's just a vague impression I have based on recent revelations. Do you know any more about that? Well, it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's, it's clear that at least some people inside the National Security State infrastructure haven't gotten the office memo on this yet, <laughs> that they're not supposed to be doing this. You know, uh, you know, for example, people don't realize this, but David Grush's testimony on July 26th of this year uh, to the House Oversight Committee was completely authorized uh, by the by the Defense Department's pre-publication authorization process, you know, uh, and uh, and uh, Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon, when they brought the videos to The New York Times, uh, all of that was cleared. So that there's there's uh, there's activity going on inside the national security state uh, structures of authorizing some of this information to, to come forward, uh, and the but but still there were other people inside the Defense Department establishment, the intelligence establishment, that were retaliating against them, uh, as David has testified. He and his wife uh, received threats, you know, from them. Uh, Lou Elizondo, that they, they were threatening to take away his security clearance. The same thing with Christopher Mellon, you know, even though they'd been officially authorized to say it. So there, there's still, the, the memo hasn't been gotten by everybody inside the national security state. Uh, and so that 
that we think that the, the more that we are public about all of this, the deeper the memo is going to go into those circles. Uh, and, and then the, the real problem is with the private aerospace industry. You know, they have private security companies. You know, have, have people watch Michael Clayton, you know, the, the, the movie that Participant uh, Productions did, you know, that, that shows, that shows, you know, the lengths to which private security companies will go. When we did the Karen Silkwood case, for example, uh, the Kermagee Nuclear Corporation, you know, uh, had a private security uh, company working for them that actually ran Karen Silkwood off the road uh, and killed her. Because she was trying to bring to the New York Times, David Burnham was waiting for her from the New York Times uh, and killed her to, to silence her. You know that that there there are people that that believe that their resort to violence uh, is okay still to silence the to, the people. We have to we have to overcome that. We have to not be afraid. But but I'm saying that, that there have been. Steps taken to try to silence Lou Elizondo, to try to intimidate Chris Mellon, to uh, to threaten Dave Grush, you know. Uh, but but they're holding fast. They're not being intimidated by that. They're continuing to go forward. They're taking all the steps to make sure the things they say publicly have been authorized. The whistleblowers, for example, we got like forty of them uh, lined up, you know, inside the Senate Intelligence Committee. They don't trust the Arrow Office. You know, the the all-domain anomalous resolution uh, office, Arrow, is they view it as a, a replay of Project Blue Book. That they're just trying to capture whatever information the whistleboys have and kill it, you know, uh, and, and keep it secret. Uh, they don't trust them. Yeah. And so that we, we have to improve uh, the, the performing of the Arrow Office. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, until we get the people to stop threatening our witnesses, uh, they're going to be uh, afraid to come public. Uh, so we're, we're, we're offering legal representation. The New Paradigm Institute uh, actually provides legal defense, you know, to some of the whistleblowers like Lou Elizondo and others. Uh, so we will provide that service as well. Uh, and uh, we will do our very best uh, to explain to people that are still threatening others that that's not to their advantage to do that. Well, let's put it that way. Well, Daniel Sheehan, you have a long track record of standing up against organizations that, that are some of the most outrageously evil in, in the world, and it's, it's not a term I would use lightly. So I think if anybody has a track record, a portfolio of the sort of experience required to take on a task like this that has been secret for so many decades and is now slowly coming into public awareness, you're the guy. And I look forward to future conversations with you. You're welcome to come back on New Thinking Aloud over and over again. I, I gather that you're a vortex of information, and I'm happy to be able to work with you to make as much of this information public as possible. Terrific, Jeffrey. I definitely appreciate that. I appreciate that, and uh, we will have a number of these conversations. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, Daniel. It's been a opening, an eye-opening experience and, and a joy and pleasure to be with you. Terrific. It's mutual. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you, because you are the reason that we are here. I imagine that by now many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos.